Welcome to episode six. I'm thrilled to introduce our spe special guest today. Her name is Professor Coleman. She is a theology professor here at Assumption. Her expertise is in metaphysics, philosophy of nature, and philosophical anthropology. I think you're going to want to listen to this one through. She's a critical thinker, and we're going to have some great discussion. Let's do it. Well, Professor, thank you for coming in. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, how's your How's your morning been? What's your morning routine like? <laughs> it's nine. It's nine thirty. I've never recorded in the morning, so. Um, you know, I generally get up pretty early and, uh, yeah, read, pray, walk, take a walk outside. So nice. yeah, before I get to campus. So cool. It's pretty, pretty chill. I see you at tea. <laughs> I, uh, this morning I went to Taze. I did my routine. I left Taze and I usually get tea when I leave. Right. And I put it on my uh, the top of my car this morning like before oh, no. I came to the media center. <laughs> Somehow, I had my keys in my right hand, and I placed the the cup of tea on the top of my car. And like I guess my keys lassoed the oh, tea hilarious. bag. Yeah, and it just <laughs> exploded. So um, that was funny. So I don't. I have, have tea. once done something similar, and coffee went all over my windshield. So right. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Worse than tea. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, we don't. We only have so much time, and there's a many things I want to cover. Um, let's get into it. Why do, so my first question, I guess we'll start something broad. I was going to ask you, why do students at Assumption not like theology? But I think the people that don't like theology are just the ones that don't necessarily try to like it. I think a better question is, why do the students that maybe don't like it, why do they condemn theology? Mm. Well, I mean, that's, pretty complicated. I mean, I would say that mostly um, people don't think, don't know what theology actually is, number one. And then I think a lot of students um, and um, even the broader campus community uh, think that what theology is, is basically um, students being indoctrinated or um, catechized mm, into right. the theology of the Catholic Church, um, which, you know, I obviously I wouldn't, um, I, that's not what theology is, number one, but number two, um, it is sort of uh, interesting that people come to a Catholic university and then don't expect to ever have to interact with um, right. Catholic doctrine, Catholic theology, Catholic thought. Um, I That's one that's still a puzzle to me. Um, or that it would be a bad thing if they did. Why that is the case, yes, exactly. Right. Um, so, but... Um, people don't really know what theology is. Um, I have to say, when I entered um, undergrad, I went. My undergrad was a place called DeSales University mm. in Pennsylvania, and it's very similar to Assumption. Um, and so, when I um, started, uh, I also didn't know what theology was in undergrad, um, and very gratefully, I didn't know what philosophy was either. Right. <laughs> um, and so, very gratefully, I. Um, I had really good professors who helped uh, me understand. Um, Theology um, is, I mean, literally, right, uh, it's theos logos, right, the study of or the logic of God. Um, but Catholic theology in particular is about um, understanding uh, not just God or doctrines about God, but um, sort of how uh, how we come to understand God. Mm -hmm. um, and that a lot of, I think a lot of times people seem to think that, and there's, you know, a lot of historical reasons for this, but um, people seem to think that, like, knowing God is a matter of what we might call blind faith. Right. Um, like, I, you just have to believe in God mm. and 
that's it. Like, and so that's why they think that theology is just catechesis, basically. Like, here's a bunch of doctrines you have to memorize. Like, let me convince you to say that you believe in God. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Um, anybody right. who's ever taken my class knows that that's not what theology actually right. is. Um, and uh, what it actually is is sort of like, how, how can we um, come to understand um, uh, what, uh, like, this world a lot better? So in that hmm. sense, it's actually, I mean, it's different from philosophy. Philosophy and theology have um, are, dis are distinct from each other. Um, and yet, right, they often sort of uh, coalesce on similar topics. Right. Um, and there's a reason for that, because both are trying to understand the world much more deeply than we sort of perhaps might first um, under our first impressions of it. Hmm. So whereas theology has a transcendental kind of like clear, maybe well, it's not very clear, I guess. Of course, God is not clear, but philosophy is, it seems like the chase of something that you can't reach while theology is the pursuit of something you possibly can? I don't know. I mean, like, it depends on who you'd sort of take your understanding of philosophy from, right? What mm. philosophy is. That's true. Um, right. I take it generally from, and the Catholic Church does too, right? The Catholic Church takes up the Greek tradition um, right. uh, in, almost immediately in its, um, in its history, right? Mm. Um, which should indicate something to us, right? Like this pre-Christian tradition of knowing reality, right, that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ right. is something that Catholic theologians have almost immediately um, taken up within what it means to know God, right? Mm. Um, so that's not true of every religion, actually, right? And so um, I think sometimes people need to, uh, people don't give, people don't think about that enough, that that phenomenon enough. Why did um, sort of early, what we would call the early church fathers, right? Yeah. The, the sort of first people who really started thinking about like what, what all this means, right? This, um, People that came after Christ or people before Christ? Like I mean, so uh, if you look at the Gospel of John, for example, there's already a lot of Greek philosophy within the Gospel of right. John, right? Okay. The Gospel of John opens up with, right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. He's using logos there. It's written in mm. Greek, right? That's straight from lo from Stoic uh, philosophy, right? Okay, well, and so uh, we, huh. we should ask why that's the case, right? And so, I mean, the, the answer that I have is that um, Catholic theology um, uh, is always concerned with, right, at, at <clears throat> um, sort of Jesus's own word. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? Mm -hmm. And if, um, if truth really is real, right, then any access to it, right, is, is going to lead you to God, right? If God is truth, if Jesus Christ is truth, right, right then okay. any sort of pathway to ah, that. I see. And so... Greek mythology, um, and I mean, so, Greek philosophy considered exactly, concerned with the truth. Right? Greek philosophy is concerned with the truth, right? And so I would say, to go back to your earlier question, right, um, the way that I understand philosophy is not just simply asking questions, but asking questions in pursuit of truth, right? Okay. And I, I do think truth to be transcendent, right? Mm. Um, it is something right. that, it is, yeah. yeah, it is something that transcends, right, all human beings, right? If that's the case, then that's why Catholic theology takes up Greek philosophy immediately, okay. right? And, and sees um, no competition between the two, actually, right? That, that philosophy and theology are... are um, are in pursuit of a similar goal. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. I um I wrote this question down. I didn't want to ask you, but now I think <laughs> I need to. And the, and the question is, is is Socrates a Christian uh, prophet? Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I think I might write my thesis on that. <laughs> might have to just write my thesis. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the so right now we have Pope Francis. The previous Pope sure. who just died was Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, right, and okay. um, when he was. Was he? I think he was Pope. I think he was Pope when he wrote this. He wrote that actually. He says that Socrates is a prophet of Jesus Christ. Wow. Um, oh, so that's you're awesome. not without. Let's go. You're not without precedent. Um, Let's go. So I think the way a lot of Catholic, both Catholic philosophers and Catholic theologians understand Socrates is, and and Plato too, actually, right, is that because they were um, both of them were and Aristotle as well, but um, especially Socrates and Plato, because they were both so insistent on seeking what was true, mm-hmm. right? They sort of couldn't help but get close to like um, certain realities about God, right? right. Um, you know, really interestingly, one probably Plato's most sort of famous student other than Aristotle was a philosopher named Plotinus. Um, and he, he was what we call a Neoplatonist philosopher, right? Okay. And he wrote a, a, seri- a series of um, <clears throat> works called the Aeneids. And in it, it's very interesting. Plotinus has a sort of triune understanding of the good and what comes from the good, and like he gets very close to a tri- triune understanding of God. It's not mm. quite there, but um, that's, meaning like a three part, like a trinity. Essentially. Yes, exactly. Okay, wow. Like, and again, like it's not quite on the same level as as Christian understanding of of um, the trinity, but. You know, uh, it's very interesting, like, somebody who is not Christian, somebody who's just sort of studying yeah. and thinking about the works of Plato gets very, very close to that. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. yeah. So, I mean, um, I don't want to I don't want to simply baptize Socrates. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, and I think that some Catholic philosophers and theologians do that, and I'm not sure that's fair to Socrates, okay. um, to be honest. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, you know, even in the Phaedo, for example, where Socrates is giving his understanding of heaven, and of course, like, there's a thousand different interpretations of what, not heaven, excuse me, the afterlife. There's a thousand different interpretations of what that could actually mean, mm-hmm. right, what he's doing in the Phaedo. But if you, if you take him somewhat seriously about his understanding of the afterlife, it's clear in the Phaedo, you know, he's on his deathbed essentially meaning like not that he's gonna die um from sickness but he's literally like on his bed going to drink the hemlock Mm. and um he he still is very clear that he's not entirely sure right Mm. like that he's not completely sure that this is going to happen um and so uh he's he's hopeful you know in the credo he says um, well, either, I think it's both in the Apology and the Credo, like, well, either death is, like, the best sleep you've ever had in your life, right, or, like, I get to meet, like, the heroes and the gods and mm. things like that, right? Um, mm. So, he, I think he's fairly clear that he's not positive something's going to happen. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, that's why I would say, I don't I don't think it's fair to simply baptize okay. Socrates. Okay, all right. No, but fine. I do, I, I uh, again... You are not without precedent. Okay, uh, that's very interesting. <laughs> no less a theologian than Benedict XVI has <laughs> called Socrates the prophet of Jesus Christ. So. Okay, well, l- let's go back to um, contemporary Catholicism. And I kind of have a almost a gripe with it because of my upbringing and kind of, I'd say, what's happened to me. Um, so I went to CCD for, I think, six to eight years. I started when I was eight or so. Uh, I got confirmed when I was 14. And... To me now, there seems like there was something wrong with it because I didn't learn 
things that I think I should have learned. I didn't <laughs> learn the difference between denominations. I didn't learn the difference between, I didn't know that, I guess I might've known that Jesus was a Jew, but I didn't really know what that meant. Mm. And it seemed like CCD, and I know we're, we're young and I guess they, we can only handle so much truth, but it seemed like they were like, you're a Catholic, nothing else matters almost, right. which is upsetting. And it's, cause then it's like, they're hiding the truth from me. Right. Um, and I went through that process and now I'm kind of in a con confusing state where I don't know um, what to pursue. And I think a lot of students, specifically probably students at Assumption have gone through that similar process. Mm -hmm. um, I guess kind of, what was CCD up to? Did they just try to, were they just doing what the parents I mean, needed I, them to yeah, do? Yeah, I can't answer for CCD. <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing, were they up to nothing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that um, let me let me if you don't mind, I'm gonna sort of like broaden your do question. Do it? Yeah, a no, no, bit. please do. Okay, please do. So I think that um, a lot of and and again, like this, your experience is not dissimilar to mine, right? Like um, I was not always Catholic, and okay. I fell away for a long time, mm -hmm. um, and uh, which I think a lot of my. Um, students are very surprised to hear because I think they, again, they kind of think it's like a, yeah, just a brainwashing right, cult, right. basically. Exactly, and exactly. so the fact that I sort of like was um, convinced by something um, is not, is surprising to people, mm -hmm. right? Um, but uh, yeah, I think that um, the church has not done on, on a good job and there are a lot of reasons for this um, and both the church's fault and sort of not the church's fault but right. the the church has not done a good good job of what we would call catechesis and catechesis um, again I think sometimes people think catechesis is just like memorizing doctrine or something like that bad bad version of catechesis catechesis um, technically speaking would be sort of like um, having people understand like why the church believes and holds what it holds mm, okay. basically. Um, and so sending um, students to a religion class for an hour a week, right. For, I don't know, how, like 30 weeks of a year. Right. Yeah. Is probably. not really going to cut it. Right. <laughs> so um, Catholicism. Uh, now this, this differs from theology. I mean, obviously the sort of like the religion and the theology overlap ultimately, um, but uh, Catholicism is not simply um, a bullet point list of things you have to do, but that's often how it gets taught, it seems to me. It, a to-do list, that's what I wrote down. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, rather, it is a whole sort of understanding of um, how God and the world relate to each other and what that means for human life, right? That's a very different picture than most people get in... Um, in sort of religion classes, even if they did go to a Catholic um, grade school yeah. or high school, they don't often get that picture of things. Um, I do think that the church um, has failed in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, um, but uh, yeah, um, we one of the reasons I could I could say is the church sort of relied on. The culture for a really long time. So what I mean by that is you just by living in sort of a Christian culture, you got a lot of what it meant to be a Christian, right? That's not the case anymore. I don't right. think we live in a Christian culture mm. anymore. Um, we're post-Christian, both in Western Europe and in America. 
Um, I think, I mean, a lot of people might have some issues with me saying that, but I really do think it's true. If we now live in a a post-Christian culture, there are certain aspects of our world that still retain like the memory of Christianity, but no sense of why or how it got there, right? Mm. So for example, like, that all humans should be equal in dignity, um, I think is a, that's a Christian um, concept, right? That, right? that comes from Christianity. But everybody takes that for granted now. Nobody knows where it came from, right? So this is what I mean about we, tell, mm. we still retain the memory of what it means to be a Christian culture, some of it, um, but we don't know why or how we got there. And so I think the Catholic Church in particular is still um, grappling with the fact that we're no longer a Christian culture and like how to educate people in light of that right right? because you could rely for a long time on just the structures of the culture teaching people what it what it meant to be a christian you could trust children's parents and their grandparents yes exactly and and that's that's really not the case anymore it's not okay so that one hour i mean it's just it has to be one hour because it seems like it can't really be too much more just because people are busy but then the one hour can't possibly be enough and it's not even the 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 environment of the one hour is also wrong, it seems. Like. I think so. I think that, right, the, it, to, to sort of steel man the CCD, like what, what it was for, right? Yeah. Like to be fair. Mm-hmm. I don't think CCD was ever supposed to teach students or, or kids yeah. all about what it was to be Catholic. Right. CCD was supposed to be, here are like the finer points of Catholic doctrine that you might not get in your family life. But CCD was never supposed to be carrying the weight of what it means to be Catholic. In fact, the family is supposed to do that, right? Yeah. And so like, so think about it this way, like if you lived in a Catholic family and and like your your family, sort of the overwhelming culture of your family was, yeah. was sort of structurally Catholic, then you go to CCD and you just like learn these kind of like, oh, we we think about that that way and we understand that that way. Mm-hmm. It just kind of like tops it off, for example. Oh, okay, right. But but like if, you know, um, and I'm not, I'm not sort of projecting anything about um, your family situation, but if parents just sort of like. Yeah, I was thinking about my dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. He's my yeah. friend. <laughs> but if parents just sort That's of funny. send their kids to CCD and it's yeah. totally divorced from anything else in their life, it's of course going to seem totally right. extrinsic right. and like, and basically nonsensical. Right. right. Yeah. So, so I want to, I want to like, I mean, I, I again, I, I don't think the church has done a great job, but um, and I, I don't think the church has quite come to terms with what it means to not exist in a Catholic culture or in a Christian culture anymore, which is interesting because that obviously the church came out of a non-Christian culture. So we we once knew how to deal with this. Right. We right. once knew how to do this, but we don't anymore. We had about a thousand it years. It got easier. Right? Yes. So, yeah. We had about a thousand years Fair where enough, it was. I mean. And so the church is still grappling with this. Yeah. But right. What CCD was actually for was, again, the Christian culture. OK. It okay. was supposed to be making up for everything that that helps that i understand that um and there's also the the problem well there's that problem that you just explained but then there's i mean i'm eight nine ten eleven twelve like how can i understand that what, what it even means for something to be transcendental i think Car- i thought cartoon network was transcendental they're like, <laughs> they're like well i you know i mean or, i know what you mean but i actually would disagree with you right if hmm. children i think children are more perceptive than we give them credit for, okay. right? And and open and receptive. And so um, I think kids have an imagination. And when one um, communicates to them appropriately that there is like sort of someone looking out for you and everyone else too, right? Mm-hmm. They start to get it intuitively. Okay. But 
if you don't grow up with any concept of that, right? right? If you don't have any sense that there's anything more than the world around you, right? Then it it becomes more difficult to understand what transcendent could possibly possibly mean, right? Mm. Um, but uh, there's a reason, you know. Um, for example, like. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Like the, right, the author yes, of like uh, The Hobbit yes. and The Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, right? He's he's a Catholic, right? Um, and and Lewis is a Christian, right? C.S. Lewis is a Christian. He's an Anglican, and he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Their books are, I mean, Lewis's in particular, the Chronicles of Narnia, are aimed for for small children, right? And they get them, and they get that there's something sort of above and beyond uh-huh. going on there, right? Um, so. Um, that it's not just this world that it or another way to put it is that what we see is not the, is not the only thing in this world right. interestingly sort of pre-christianity everybody had a sense of that right like i mean we just have to look at sort of the traditional myths and cultures the myths and belief system of the traditional cultures of the world nobody thought it was just this right. everybody had a sense of something else is going on here mm. right um and so one of the interesting questions, and um, in my intro class, we talk about this a little bit, is how do we get from that to where we are now, where most people don't think that there's sort of anything to reality mm. other than what we can sort of immediately see, feel, and touch, right? right? Um, and um, so- Is that metaphysics? Things we can't see, feel, and touch? So, I, yeah, so that's yeah. My, my specialty is metaphysics, right? So, um, which like most people think, when they hear that, they think it means I'm a witch, which is not the case. Um, so, <laughs> I don't think that. To be fair. So, well, Barnes and Noble has like a metaphysics section, and it's all like Wicca oh, and awesome. stuff like that. <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. So, cool. no, um, metaphysics is um, an area of both philosophy and theology. Um, in a certain way, it's actually where philosophy and theology meet. Hmm. Um, I think um, is sometimes how I describe it. But metaphysics is an area of sort of, I mean, technically, as Aristotle defines it, is it's the study of being as being, right? But what what do we mean by that right being means like so like you exist and i exist and this table exists right so everything on earth has something in common that it all exists so sure, like what yeah. can we say right how like how is that possible what can we say how, like how does that relate to um does this desk exist differently than i do right hmm. do i exist differently than you do right hmm. this is the study okay, of of metaphysics and um me- i mean literally it just means after or above or beyond the physics right so like you're studying like physical reality and then above and beyond physical reality um we get the word from aristotle actually um and in in a sort of uh, a catholic metaphysics in particular which is what i do um the a lot of the questions come down to like how does god um like how does how does the being of God and the being of the world relate? Okay, that, and that's what I do. In Interesting. Particular. Okay, we don't cover that a lot in my classes. It's right, a little right. <laughs> yeah, grad, grad, graduate school class maybe. Yeah. Um, so Spencer couldn't be here. He has a game today. Um, he's actually starting. It's at three. I'm gonna go to the game. But he um, one question that he asked me, and I think he wanted to ask you was. He phrased it something like, "Why should I practice?" Like he, he wanted me to tell him, and I don't. I wouldn't even say I necessarily practice um, Catholicism or Christianity in any sense, but he was like, I want someone to tell me why I should practice. Like, why should I add it to my day to day? And I think my answer was something like, well, you have to figure that out on your own. Like, no one can tell you. Is there a better answer? Is there a <laughs> better, I mean, what, how would you approach someone with that kind of mindset? Yeah, I mean. Not that it's a bad mindset, just that it's a mindset. Um, 
Well, I would start with saying that um, if we want to do anything well, we have to practice it, mm. right? Like whether it's playing an instrument or playing a sport or, right? Like you cannot just sort of become good at something without, um, without constantly right. doing it, okay. right? And so, you know, you hear this phrase a lot, um, I'm, how do people put it? Oh yeah, I'm spiritual, not religious, right? People put right. that a lot, I say that a lot, which makes me always laugh. I always say the opposite, I'm religious and not spiritual. Mm. Um, mostly because I think the sentence is sort of ridiculous, to be yeah. honest. Um, because this idea that one can have a relationship with that which is beyond you, right? So transcendently beyond you, without a practice of something is a little bit silly, right? Like we would say, we. I mean, any anybody who mm. you love, right? Or who you want to have a relationship, you have to, as we like to put, say it, put the work in, right? right? Like, um, right. like if you think of a significant other, right? Um, if you wanted to have a relationship with that person, a really healthy one, right? It wouldn't just be like, oh, like, um, when I feel like it, we can have a relationship or when I feel like it, I can call you up and no other time, right? Like you have to like be with that person actually right, right. and do the work of the relationship. Mm. Now, <clears throat> we're not, I mean, <clears throat> here we're not just talking about another human being, but we're talking about sort of that um, that which is so transcendently beyond that we have a hard time sort of understanding what God really is and means. Now, um, and so in order to be in relationship with him, right, then, um, and sort of understand one's one's life um, as given by God, right, it seems to me, and what, and all the implications that means, it seems to me that a practice, right, um, would be necessary, just like it would be for any sort of relationship um, between two human beings, right? right. Um, and so there's a, um, a writer named um, Annie Dillard, who I really love, she, was brought up atheist and then ended up converting to Catholicism. And the way, so one of the ways she puts um, a, having a, like practicing, right, um, religion, um, and obviously in particular Catholicism, is she says, you know, if the stars, if you wanna go see the stars, right, if you wanna go see the Milky Way, especially in our modern world, you have to like drive up to a remote mountain Right. And mm -hmm. put yourself in the position, right, of actually seeing the stars, right? Mm -hmm. The stars, right, um, now it's not a perfect analogy, but the stars cannot sort of change what they are, right? You have mm -hmm. to change your situation. Right. The stars won't come to you. In it's order to see them. Okay. Right. Similar with God, right? Like it's, he, you have to change your situation, right, in order to have, right, the best relationship possible with him. Right. It, it reminds me of the fact that you almost have to be open to not maybe not being a slave, but being a, but having being open to servitude to to something because and that reminds me of the masses that Ortega y Gasset talks about, and I brought that up on the last episode, um, and that the the excellent man like almost it, in my read I, I saw that the excellent man almost has chains, whereas the the mass man doesn't. But the the chains that the the excellent man has is to something greater than its own being. So then because of those chains, they're not actually bad. They're actually good. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, the, your, what your question is pointing at is what is freedom actually. Right. Yeah. And is, yes. is freedom, is freedom like this, just the ability to 
simply follow one's like basis instincts at any point in time, right? I think that's what we think that freedom is often, mm. right? Like I just get to do whatever the hell I want at any point, right? But um, I use this example in my class a lot, but like think about it this way, right? Like <clears throat> who is freer, right? The student who um, like goes, like knows that he has work to do, right? Has a paper due a, a week from now, right? And and like has the discipline to sit down and like do the work, right? Mm -hmm. So that the night before the paper is due, he's not freaking the hell out, right? right. And, um, okay. uh, and, and so he sits down a week beforehand and, and every sort of night for five nights or something like that, he works on this paper, right? right? Um, so on the one hand, he's knowledge. not free because he's not quote unquote free if if to like follow his desires to like watch Netflix that right. night, right? Um, but who's actually freer, right? The student who like has that discipline, right? right? Or the student who um, like every night just and again like I'm speaking just out of personal experience here, right? Like right. every night like decides to watch Netflix until the night before the paper is due, yeah. and then feels horrible, right. doesn't know what's going on in class, right? Who's the freer person there, mm. actually, right? I think it's the former. It's the one who actually has discipline, right? And so like Aristotle, when Aristotle's talking about a virtuous or a magnanimous man, right? Like magnanimous would be sort of one step up from the virtuous man, right? He would. He's saying that it's the person who knows how to integrate and and um, submit his desires to the good that he actually wants, right? Versus the right. immediate good of like just the sort of base pleasure of like zoning out in front of a show, right? right okay. The um, the the good that we actually want, right, requires discipline. And I don't care if that's God or like even just like getting an A in a class, right? Mm. It, it requires, it always requires discipline. Wow. So freedom can't be just following, right, base desires immediately, right, satisfaction. Right. But I think that's how we think of freedom often. Or if that is what it is, then I don't want freedom. <laughs> no one should, really should then want yeah, freedom to I'm, that extent. But I would say that's not, that's not freedom, right? right? Like right. The, the student it's who's not. freaking out, you know, eight hours before a t uh, uh, paper is due and is get you know probably going to get a, a worse grade a C or a D right. doesn't seem to be very free mm. actually when okay yeah because they might have had more free time but uh, those free hours those like 10 extra free hours they had they, they, they didn't actually lead to a more free life right yeah. so that's okay interesting yeah um I think that that is a good answer we kind of drifted away from <laughs> Spencer's question but we had to um <laughs> We can move on to the next section here, and I'll, I'll probably rotate back and ask some other questions. Has religion been demonized in our society? Demonized is a strong word, but... Yeah, I think in particular... Um, I, I guess particular Christianity. Yeah, I think in particular Christianity, although not limited to, but I think because, precisely because we um, are shaped by Christianity, like the foundations of our culture are mostly shaped by Christianity. So even those of us who are not Christian live in a culture, if you're in America or if you're in Western Europe in particular, you live in a culture that has been shaped by Christianity, right? Yep. And so it is not surprising to me that then there would be reactions against that. Um, it's also in America in particular, this is less so in Europe, um, but in America in particular, you have um, uh, denominations of Christianity that are um, incredibly um, sort of contramundum, meaning like uh, look for uh, look for 
divisive issues, right? And and sort of almost pick fights, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that fights have to be fought um, uh, sometimes. But so what I mean by that is, so for example, like we live in New England, right? Um, founded by the Puritans, right? Yep. The Puritans' understanding of Christianity is not one that, I mean, it's, it's not one that I agree with like at all for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's one that rejects the the sacramentality of creation, which means that it's um, very, very suspicious of the material world and the body in particular, right? So certain things in Puritanism get really demonized, right? Like sexual um, desire, any desire whatsoever gets wow. really, um, is very um, suspicious, right? Um, and that, that attitude also lends, uh, it tends to get picked up by what we would call fundamentalist um, Christianity, right? Um, fundamentalist meaning, right, you, you, um, sort of read the Bible as if it's all like reporting from the New York Times or something like that, which is mm-hmm. not how one is supposed to read the Bible. Um, and so again, fundamentalist Christianity also rejects the sacramentality of creation and therefore leads to a, a kind of suspicion of the body. Suspic- what is the sacrament of creation? Yeah, hold on for one second. Sorry, suspicion yeah. of the body and suspicion of like desire and things like that, right? And so what I think one of the problems is um, with those types of Christianities is um, that that they're very anti-human ultimately, right? Mm. Like if you are suspicious of the body, you're suspicious of desire. It's just desire, right? Um, that That's a very anti-human stance, right? right? Like we are, desire is a human quality, right? right? I mean, again, going all the way back to Plato, right? Plato yeah. talks about this all the time, which is one of the reasons I love Plato, right? Um, and, uh, and so if you take an anti-human stance, ultimately somebody's gonna react against it, right? I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's one of the reasons. So, sacramentality of creation. What I mean by that is, so in, in Catholicism, we have what we call the sacraments, right? Sacraments, baptism, um, you know, the Holy Eucharist, confirmation, uh, there's more. But what we mean by sacraments are points at which, right, God's grace is definitively, meaning we know for sure, communicated right, in and through okay. this action, right? Yeah. The sacrament of baptism, the Holy Eucharist, et cetera, et cetera, right. Right? Oh, yeah. right? Well, the thing is what that means more broadly speaking, right, is that God and the world are not antithetical to each other, right? If God is willing to sort of communicate himself in and through the material world, which is what the sacraments say, right? Like in baptism, you get, you are, basically in and through the water of baptism, God's grace like comes to rest on a person, right? So what that means is that God is not like against the world. In fact, God wants to communicate himself in and through material reality. Um, And that would mean then that everything in the world, right, has the capacity, right, on some level to communicate who and what God is actually, right? Right. Which is, so if you deny that that's possible, right? If you deny that it's possible that the material world can communicate who and what God is, right? right then ultimately your stance becomes God against the world, right? Wow, okay. and, and rather than, and so like it becomes a very antagonistic relationship. Right, which is contradictory because if God created the world, why would he be against I it? I agree. Right. So, 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 but um, I mean, one of the reasons for that is Protestant Christianity tends to, 
take um, Original Sin and say that Original Sin just, it totally wrecked everything to the point of it cannot sort of be redeemed, essentially, right? Whereas um, Catholicism says Original Sin wounded us and it wounded nature, but it did not destroy it, right? And so God can still use nature to communicate himself, all right, so that he can be known in and through nature, which is, again, why, right, um, why the early church fathers immediately took up uh, Greek philosophy, right? Because Greek philosophy was about knowing the transcendent in and through the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the and the early church fathers have no problem with that whatsoever, yeah. right? But if you think that um, if you think that we're totally sort of like if the world was and nature itself was totally sort of ruined by the sin of man, right? Then then God has to essentially replace nature right god has to sort of like um overtake it rather than work with it to 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 allow himself to be known so is that something so is that maybe where um i think it was montesquieu i could be confused but is that why he thought that in a state of nature we're just at war with each other because of original sin yes because god right so i mean i think that i think montesquieu and Locke and hobbes are somewhat influenced by a kind of Protestant understanding of what that means, okay. right? Um, they they would say uh, that the the state of nature is, um, it's kind of interesting, like in ca- Catholic thought, we would say the original state of nature before original sin was actually sort of like this, this kind of, we would call it a pre-lapsarian um, perfect man, right? And then we kind of wounded ourselves by, by sinning um, and that wounded nature, it didn't ruin it. But Protestant understanding is it actually ruins nature. And so, yes, we would we are totally uh, at war with ourselves uh, all of the time. There's no possibility for sort of goodness to be known or to be or come about. Hmm. Right. And Locke thought this as well. Locke, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not a, you know, early modern scholar at all, but I, I think Locke takes Hobbes and um, and Hobbes definitely thought it. he's very right. explicit about it. Right. Um, oh, maybe I, I was thinking about Hobbes then. Yeah, Hobbes is very explicit about okay. it. Um, and then Locke, I think, sort of takes Hobbes and is like, we we gotta like, we gotta make this like less aggressive. Basically, it was, yeah, Hobbes. That's what I was thinking. Okay, that's what I was thinking. So, about. he was the one who said that we were at, uh, we were constantly in a state of war. Yeah, in, in a state of nature. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and therefore, we need these kind of laws to keep us in check and all of our desires in check and everything. Right. Yeah. And where did he think, I don't know if you may not know this, as you just said, but where did he think religion uh, came? Did, did he think religion was necessary or was it just that we entered into the social contract and the and society for those laws? Yeah. So, again, I'm not an early modern scholar, but as I understand Locke, right, religion is sort of helpful in keeping people in check. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really have anything to say about like the nature of reality. Okay. So it's sort of like a, yeah, you know, if, if you like this, that's great, right? Um, and it might be helpful to keep those kind of like passions in check. Um, but it's not, it doesn't say anything ultimate about um, human being, about reality, about, right, the, the world in right. general. Yeah. Okay. So, so I guess, how did Catholicism kind of in a non-Puritan sense, reemerge in America? <laughs> well, I mean, it's been here for a long time, right? I mean, um, 
well, in New England, Catholics weren't allowed for a while, but like, but, um, <laughs> uh, but like Maryland, for example, right? Like, and the reason I say it like that is because the state was named after the Virgin Mary, right? I was gonna like, say, did you say Maryland? Yeah, yeah, Maryland, right? Like the right, <laughs> cool. that, like we yeah. say Maryland, but like, like the state was named for the Virgin Mary, right? Like that, it was a Catholic bastion for a really long time, right? Mm-hmm. So Catholics have been here for a long time, especially on the West Coast, right? Like that's where a lot of um, the Spaniards, yeah. um, they they. Uh, I mean, most of California's uh, cities are named after saints, right? Like um, uh, San Francisco, St. Francis, right? right? right like right. Santa Barbara, St. Yeah, Barbara, cool. et cetera, et cetera, right? So, and then um, there is, uh, as soon as sort of the new world was discovered, um, a lot of uh, religious orders were like, oh my gosh, we have to, like, because we didn't know that these people over here existed, right? And so a lot of religious orders were, um fairly keen on coming over and sort of like spreading the good news so um uh the jesuits in particular right were were very uh and they they were um, uh an order mostly based in spain so a lot of jesuits came over and there are a lot of what we would call um the north american martyrs because they sort of reached out to people and um you know for various reasons um some of them were were killed for their beliefs Mm. um so uh so the catholicism's been here from the beginning but it hasn't i don't think it ever like took hold in the same way um a lot of the the founders of the country were fairly um skeptical of catholics right Mm. like they um they called catholics papists right meaning like um the pope right Mm. um and Uh, i'm the and there wasn't very popular at the time (laughs) no where at least it wasn't popular within the founders right and and the and the reason for that i think is something we should still pay attention to personally which is the founders were skeptical of anyone whose last allegiance would not be to America, but in fact, to something other than America, okay. right? Uh, and so, uh, um, right, that's why they called us papists. Now, I would say my last allegiance is not to the Pope, but like insofar God. as the Pope sort of represents um, the church, right? right? And the church is, as we say, right, uh, the bride of Christ, right? Yes. But, right, they, they, I think the founders were not wrong to be somewhat suspicious because if your last allegiance is not to America, right, then there are going to be some things that America does, right, that um, you may disagree with, right? So there's there's been a tension, I think, from the beginning of the country. Right, and there's had to have been, I guess, or the founders thought there had to have been. Yeah. Um, It was almost like this kind of attitude was inevitable. Uh, I I mean, I, I thought about this because seems like every TV show I watch, if there is, if the church comes, if the show is not about the church and like the church comes into it, they're always just super corrupt and like eat people or something. <laughs> and like, um, but, well, that was in The Last of Us. That's why I say that. But it, uh, that was a spoiler. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's why I kind of bring this up because I, I think that's kind of funny. Um, I mean, the the church, like I don't, I don't want to, um, there's a really great, there's a English author from like, the I think he's 20th century, 19th or 20th century, Hiller Belloc. Okay. And Belloc was Catholic, and he, he I'm going to butcher the quote, but it Sorry. basically said something like, he said, I am bound um, by, I'm bound by knowing what's true and good and beautiful to um, practice Catholicism and have my allegiance to the church, right? But, right, basically, um, uh, if that weren't the case, right, the, uh, those who run it would sort of like 
uh, prove that it what basically would sort ah. of um, uh, make us very very suspicious of it, right? I, see, I mean, I see. it's interesting all the way back in the fourth century. Saint Augustine, right? I mean, who obviously influences right. assumption, yeah. right? So we're, we're we're talking now sixteen hundred years ago, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> Augustine, <laughs> Augustine basically wrote one of the um, proofs for the church's um, reality and like that it's true mm-hmm. is that the base. I mean, I'm I'm sort of uh, glossing Augustine's words here, but the idiots who run this thing, right? Yeah. Like should have run it into the ground already, yeah. and yet it still exists, right? right? right. That was that was. <laughs> 1600 years ago that's fine. right so there's something and it's to be arguably on worse well I, I mean yes and no right like okay. I, I don't know um, but like corruption and fallibility exists in every age right, um, right. and uh, but um, yeah like it is I, I, I do find that logic somewhat compelling like what institution has lasted this long yeah that's right right that's been run so poorly, right? The only thing that sort of comes close, I think, at this point is the Roman Empire, right? But even that, right, started to degrade fairly quickly at the end, right? Right. <clears throat> so, um, so I, when I, again, when I was coming back to the church and I and I was sort of studying things, um, wondering where I stood and everything, that was a fairly compelling piece of evidence for me, right? How does this thing still exist, <laughs> actually, yeah. given all of right. the problems that it has, right? right. So. And it's funny, Augustine's awesome. I like his, uh, I think his, the confessions are great. Um, I wish they would give, they gave that book t- to us as a freshman yeah. first year. And I just kind of threw it in the desk, <laughs> never looked at it. But then I read it in Rome last semester and it was great. Um, I liked his kind of like honest progress from different things from, um, I forget what he practiced, that weird. Manichaeism. Uh, m- right. And then, um. He found Greek philosophy and then it led him into Catholicism. Uh, right. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, let's move on. We're running out of time. But <laughs> um, so th- this podcast is kind of in part a testimony to s- me and Spencer's uh, like love for philosophy or uh, kind of that was influenced by assumption. And we have philosophy on the one hand, which I see as uh, the pursuit of the truth and a pillar of that is asking questions and having an elastic mind. And then um, there's kind of religion on the other hand, which seems to me to be uh, the most important thing. And I guess we'll say Christianity again is faith where you have to kind of have a faith that you don't question things. Um, is there a contradiction there? <coughs> and if so, um, what, like how do you work through that? Yeah. So, so the short answer is n- no, there's no contradiction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. um, but let me let me sort of go back to one of your premises, right, which I would sort of alter okay. slightly. Um, it's in in Catholic the Catholic religion, right, in particular, right. Um, faith is not the ultimate, right? It is faith and reason always together, mm. always together, right? This is again like something anybody who's taken intro with me, and if they listen to this, they'll like probably laugh, mm. right? Because um, it is not supposed to be just faith, right? It is supposed to be faith and reason, always, always together, right? And so um, faith without um, reason, <coughs> excuse me, becomes very, very blind um, to everything, right? Because you're sort of like, you're like, I don't need anything else, right? You, I don't need to sort of understand um, 
anything really i just need to sort of say that i believe in this but but my question is always faith without if if you have a faith without reason what does that like what does it mean to believe in something actually Mm -hmm. right like i like i don't know i don't i really don't understand what it means to believe in something without understanding understanding it on some level and constantly trying to understand it ever more Mm. right it's very superficial and that requires reason to constantly understand Mm. right it's very very superficial alternatively i would say reason without faith becomes very 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 narrow right and what i mean by that and i you know i'm not making this up this comes from gk chesterton um, among others, but um, faith without reason, uh, or excuse me, reason without faith, right, sort of can't get out of bed in the morning. So what I mean by that is like, um, you are always operating on some principle of faith, right? So for example, right, number one for reason to work well is that the structure of reality, right, is meant for you to understand it and you are meant for reality itself, right? If you put that into question, which some people do, right? Then you become sort of trapped in your own brain, right? Mm. Like you can't, it's hard for you to like sort of get outside of yourself, right? right. So so Chesterton says that the man without, um, the man who has only reason but no faith whatsoever, right? Tends to um, think that, uh, t- like tends to go kind of insane. Nihilistic, actually. maybe even. Well, no, just go goes a bit insane, right? Because okay. how can I ever tell that anything in reality is um, is sort of revealing itself to me truly, right? Mm. Like, I mean, that's th- that's a tough world to yeah, live in, right. right? I believe that reality, right, can tell me about itself, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, so I started out. I mean, I I was a bio major in college. I still love biology, right? Um, I I have a BS in biology, right? the entire scientific project is built upon right this faith that the world can tell me about itself right right? that i can understand the world Mm -hmm. right we take that for granted and we should on some level right but but actually there's a faith involved there right so for our reason to work at all i think that we have to have a faith in reality right Right. okay so once you then do once you say once you make that step right Uh, that that there's a faith then i then like it does and then i start to like really discover reality and understand reality right and it like um for example like causes right that i start to see that everything that i encounter has has come from something else right nothing has like popped into existence on its own right um and then i'm like well wait a second like if everything has a cause Mm. well that means that at some point there had to have been a first cause, right? right? Um, right. Where does that first, co- what is that first cause, right? Where does that come from? That's that's both faith and reason working together, right? Right, um, right. because you use your reason to decipher that something needs a exactly. effect. Exactly, yeah, cause. Okay. like so, so, yeah, so I would say that they're, they're, faith and reason are in harmony, right? And um, anybody who says otherwise, like I, I sort of, I, I, especially when it comes to sort of Catholic theology or philosophy, yeah. like I would sort of um, really balk and, and reject that premise. Right. Um, the other it's thing a I, dangerous premise, kind of. Yes. Why, yeah. why do you think that? Well, I, <clears throat> I think it's dangerous because then you could justify terrorism with your faith mm. in God. That, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's maybe what terrorists may do. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that's and just I, one tangible example. Yeah, I so I would say that they, they always work hand in hand, um, and uh, faith without reason is sort of empty, right? Um, and reason without faith, right, kind of can't get outside of your own head, actually. Mm, okay. Um, okay. And then the other thing I would say is, right, we we 
again, I think we operate on principles of faith way more than we, we think we do, right? So, um, so for example, like, <coughs> I think you would agree black holes exist, right? They are a thing that exists out there. Have I ever seen one or encountered one myself? No, no, right? But in order for me to like think about the prospect, right, I have to sort of like assent to the fact that like people who have told me these things exist actually like are not lying to me and telling me the truth, right? So, and then I'm able to sort of think about like, well, what does that mean? Like black holes existing and and like how, um, how does that affect sort of the nature of our reality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there is a principle of faith there, right? An operation of faith that you then sort of use reason to check on. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Um, this similar thing. I mean, it's an it's analogous with God, right? Sure. I I I think I I'm fairly certain God does exist. In fact, I've staked my life on it pretty um, completely, right? Um, but what I mean, okay. So then, like, what does that mean? What does that mean that? Um, what does that mean for how I live my life, right? What does that mean for how I interact with other uh, people? What does that mean for how that, like, I approach the rest of reality, right? Mm-hmm. You, you see how they're always at work together? Something like um, I'm trying to do some rigorous physical training, and I have faith that if I do the right exercises, um, I'll strengthen the muscles I want to, and I'll get bigger and stronger. But then I also use my reason to adjust the workouts and, I like, make them better yeah. based on the information I have yeah. and the experience I have, right? Okay, yes. so can kind of work in anything or anything good. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that the two are always at work. I think it is a, a human principle. It's not just a principle of religion, but a human principle that faith and reason are always at work together. And then another dangerous, I just remembered Euthyphro is a dangerous, um, has a dangerous attitude towards kind of just having faith mm-hmm. and not using reason, um, which I th- find very interesting. Uh, just to answer your question again, um, the reason I brought up faith and I kind of assumed faith was the most important pillar of uh, Christianity was because of the story of Abraham. Um, it's in Genesis, I think, 21, 22, 23. And he, um, if you don't know the story, he's basically, God tells him to uh, go to this mountain and, and kill his only son, Isaac, who he waited over 100 years to have. And he's willing to do it. And then God sends an angel and tells him to stop. And it, it like it didn't seem like there he was using reason and he was only using faith. So is that is it, is Abraham instead of maybe is he maybe a warning to to people instead of a uh, idol? Yeah, I would say a couple of things about that about that story in Genesis. So it's number one the way that I have to that most of the Old Testament makes the most sense to me is only in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? So mm-hmm. Jesus, as you mentioned earlier, is in fact Jewish, right? right? Which means he knew the scriptures inside and out, right? And what Jesus is constantly saying in the Gospels is that he is the fulfillment of the scriptures, right? And so things that did not make sense to the Jews, right, in their own scriptures, mm-hmm. right, only make sense in the light of Jesus Christ. Right. So um, that I could see if you just look at that story alone, what in the world is this about, right? Like, I mean, this looks a little bit terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. But um, right. but in the light of Jesus, right, it opens up the meaning of, the, of that story, right? Which is that um, God sends his only son to actually be sacrificed, right? The father sends right. his son to be sacrificed, right. right? So there is this, what we would call a type, 
right, um, in the Old Testament. And only in light of Jesus does what happened between Abraham and Isaac and God become very clear, like what was going on. This was a foreshadowing of what God himself was going to be doing, right? He didn't actually ask Abraham to do it ultimately, right? right? But he, he himself goes through with it. The father sends his son, right, to be sacrificed. The other thing I would say about that story is um, I think sometimes we uh, – it's not simply that our reason goes away, right? Like Abraham had been um, already given – like things had been asked of him or, and, and been told to him that he literally like didn't think was going to happen, right? right. right? So, um, so like he was told that he was going to have a son and he – I mean Sarah laughed, right? And like he, he was like, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. And then it happened, right? right? So his reason is at work in that story, right? That like I, I've, been, I've been promised something and it came true that, and I thought it was impossible, right. right? So, you know, think about it this way. Like if somebody – if like one of your friends tells you something, right, and then like – and then his promise comes true, one that you actually think is impossible, right? It's not then unreasonable to listen to him a little bit more carefully, even if he mm. tells you another thing that seems That's outrageous. Crazy, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, so okay, right. Yeah, and then and then the last thing I'll say about that, and is, that's reason. Right. And then um, uh, the last thing I'll say about that story in particular, and again, I mean, I'm sure that both Jewish and Christian scripture scholars have a lot more to say about it, um, is uh, I think sometimes it can be the case that God asks us things of us, right, that um, we don't understand at the beginning and then we understand later why. Right. And so, for example, like maybe Abraham didn't yet know how what it meant to submit fully to God. And then once he did, what was going to be given, right? But mm-hmm. again, like he'd already been given things, right? He Like that he thought was kind of crazy right. or impossible. Right. And then I don't think it's totally unreasonable to then listen a little bit more carefully once that yeah. promise has been fulfilled, right? right? But what it seems to me, one of the things that was given there is Abraham himself, like then understood how much faith he actually had in God, right? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, that I mean that story is not without. Uh, it there's a lot there's a lot to think about in that story right. for sure. And it's not that Abraham never questions God, right? Because doesn't he like doesn't God say he's gonna like kill everyone in Gomorrah? In yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, he Sodom, argues with him, he, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Which is okay. really that's really interesting. Like whoever the Genesis author was, like what a weird thing to have your patriarch questioning God, oh, right? Arguing right. with God again. Like I think we need to. I think we need to pay a little bit more attention about the about both Judaism and Christianity have a lot of back and forth with God, right? right. A, a lot of it, mm. right? And and so um, this idea that it is sort of like simply authoritarian, it, it's right. just that the scriptures themselves don't don't prove that out. They it don't. seems to me. And it's not simply about faith because it's not simply authoritative. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think this is a good place to end. <laughs> All right. I think we had some great discussion. Thank <laughs> okay. you so much again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Episode six, (laughs) bucks.